재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 People in Seoul is our weekly interface with very interesting people who have come to Korea to do dynamic things. Some of them are just passing through. Some of them have taken the plunge and they're making their lives here. That's what our next guest is doing. He's with a little company called Google, which you may have heard of, in charge of Asia-Pacific partnerships. But his main sideline is a social entrepreneurial activity aiming to tackle elderly poverty, a huge issue in the society which is rapidly becoming older. His name is Mike Kim, and he's the director of the relatively new Korea Legacy Committee. Hi, Mike. Hey, how are you? Great to see you. Thanks, Thanks for, for making time. Me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to fit plenty of plugs in for the Legacy Committee in just a moment, so have no fear on that score. But I want to get to know you a little bit personally sure. first, right? You are uh, a Korean-American, correct? Yeah, born and raised in the Bay Area. lived there all my life, uh, 31 years, and then moved to Korea two and a half years ago. So still fairly a new, cur- new Kyopo in Korea. So I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an older Korean hand than you in, in some ways. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so you grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco, mm-hmm. all your life. So you've been kind of... The, Silicon Valley is sort of in the air there, isn't it? Absolutely. Graduated and spent about 10 years in Silicon Valley working for various different startups, um, small companies, big companies. Before I left, I was at LinkedIn for about three years running global business development and then uh, had the opportunity to come out to Seoul to work for a very exciting uh, startup that maybe you've heard of called uh, Padari Minjok. It's a food delivery company. Mm-hmm. And then uh, spent two years there and now transferred over to where you had said I'm now Google. Okay, so I mean, I guess the main question is uh, why take the leap over to Korea? I mean, you were doing great there in Silicon Valley, basically sure. the hub of uh, world technology. Still, regardless of you know critiques of Silicon Valley, it's still kind of where the action is. Why decide to come over to Korea? Absolutely, um, it's a great question and something that I get all the time. And just to kind of put it. In a nutshell, I came out here for a business trip in 2014, and I came out uh, to meet with young startup entrepreneurs. And I was very naive at the time. I thought Korea only had three major companies, and all young people just worked there, and there there was no startup movement. And so I was completely caught off guard. I came out here, and as cliche as it sounds, I completely fell in love with this generation, the young people that were just digging deep. And um, I also felt that there was a different motivation for young people here building a company. You know, in Silicon Valley, it's about that IPO. It's about winning. It's about, I guess, hitting that billion-dollar jackpot. I'm sure people want the financial reward here as well, but it seemed different. It seemed like young people in Korea were striving for something more, a different way of life, uh, building a new culture, wanting to break away and being themselves. And I wanted to be a part of that movement. And so, um, you know, people think I'm still crazy in San Francisco for leaving the life I had, but I don't feel like I left anything. I think I've gained so much. I've learned more about myself and uh, I'm here for the long haul. I want to be here with this generation, building the next generation of great companies here. And, um, and that's also another reason why I started the Korea Legacy Committee. You sound as, if, as though you've said these things before. <laughs> it's almost like you've got the spiel. Um, let's, uh, before we get into the Korea Legacy Committee, let's just uh, linger on that thought sure. of uh, the, the difference in startup mm-hmm. communities. There's even you know TV shows now about Silicon Valley that kind of send up the extent to which Silicon Valley has become sort of this you know, almost arrogant kind of uh, community, right? And you yeah. said people are going for the big jackpot or, or nothing. There's a difference here. You've called the youth, the entrepreneurial youth in the things that you write, the tiger chebel. Yeah. What's that mean? One of the things I, I say to this generation, our generation, 
is that the most powerful chipple in Korea right now is not Samsung, it's not Hyundai, it is this generation. And I think a lot of times this generation forgets the innate power they have. Um, a lot of times, as you may hear, there's a term called Heljoson, and it upsets me a lot because um, I understand where they're coming from. Unemployment's very high. It is a tough situation and a tough time to be living in Korea. But if you look at the context of where this country has been the past 70 years, where my father came from, mm. where my grandparents came from, Japanese colonization, a Korean war. In 70 years, now you're on Karosugir and Shinsai eating happy, you know, you're going to Dore Dore Happy Cake, and life is pretty good. And I think people have to recognize how lucky we are uh, to be living in this time and also be thankful that, hey, it is now my turn to turn this country into the country that I want to. The country we want is a country we have to build. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I hope to kind of reverse the notion of Heljoson and so that this generation recognizes that, hey, the future is ours to build, and let's go after it and get it. Just want to remind you, Mike, careful to drop those B-bombs. Got it. B being brand, uh, you know, public radio and all of that. We have to kind of skirt around because we don't want to give the impression of... Uh... Anywho, um, yeah, so Koreans, as you probably well know, they have a tendency to categorize people, right? Sure. Um, there's the Korean Koreans, the Koreans, the the people who are born here and know the, the struggle of Hell Joseon in their impression. Yeah. There's people like me who's like a complete Martian and, you know, arrive. Then there's you. Um, you're sort of... In the middle, aren't you? Sure. I mean, you've you've you're, you're, you've got Korean blood. You were raised by Koreans, mm-hmm. uh, and yet you've grown up in the United States. So, what what I wonder is maybe you know you're doing a lot of great work, but aren't there some Koreans out there that say, you know, Mike Kim, where do you get off telling me that I don't have the right attitude about Korea? You who have grown up in San Francisco all your life. Absolutely, it's an incredibly fair point for them to make. Um, you know what I kind of settle with in my heart is. I'm here for the long haul. I love this country, and I understand that there's a stereotype for certain gyopos who come here for a couple of years, experience their roots, and go back. And mm. um, for me, I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. And whether or not um, my point of view may upset others, I'm here to support this country and the community that I live in, and I'm going to continue to do so. And hopefully over the long haul, in the course of my work, people will recognize that I was genuine. Um, I was here for them. I'm here with them. Um, and my only main goal really is to say, look – I moved out here. I gave up this life in San Francisco because of you, because I'm so inspired by this generation. And all I want you to recognize is that everything you want to accomplish in your life, you can do. And despite the fact that unemployment's high, despite the fact that there are cultural things that are difficult and the framework may be harder for you to achieve the goals, you can still do it. And so that's that's my main goal and my point. And that's the same thing I reiterate to the young people in this group as well. Yeah, that is a form of currency, isn't it? The idea that, hey, I just picked up sticks and moved over here and and took a a risk. So let's get into this uh, Korea Legacy Committee. If you look at the sort of the website and the brochures and whatnot, you uh, see a lot of these data points that uh, we, we so often see. The elderly poverty rate is very high here, much higher than the industrialized country average, and this is an aging society, and a lot of younger people are kind of pulling away from the Confucian idea. These are familiar data points. Was it a data-driven decision to start the Korea Legacy Committee, or did you and your, your colleagues have some sort of human experience that drove it? No, it's definitely not data-driven, to be honest with you. This was something um, 
it was very raw. Uh, I can still remember the moment that I wanted to start this group. Um, I currently live in the east side of Seoul in Chamshil, and I moved here in the dead of winter. And I'm a California boy, so I, you know, I thought, Cal- California, yeah, though, I thought I mean. California was cold. I thought when the fog rolled in, it was cold. But I still remember the first winter I was here. I moved here in December. Um, I was in Chamshil Station going down to the subway, and it was brutally cold. Mm. I was freezing, and I had on a jacket, right. um, thick pants. And at the very bottom of the steps, I was just about to go in and uh, tag my way into the subway when I, in the corner, I saw just huddled in a corner, uh, an old grandma and she was shivering and she was sitting on a cardboard box and I just didn't understand what she was doing. So when I stood back a bit, I realized that she was selling pieces of gum, not even gum packs, pieces of gum to basically get a meal. Mm. And uh, that that memory was seared into my mind, watching this woman shiver, uh, tremble, holding up a stick of gum while hundreds, maybe thousands of people passed her. Um, And that's what caused me to recognize how in this country right now is there a woman like this um, suffering. And so when I did the research, I was actually surprised to see that out of all economic developed countries, Korea has the highest level of senior citizen poverty, 50% of the senior citizens in this country live below the poverty line. And that's when I realized I'm not going to be here and not do anything. We're going to act. I'm in a lucky position of being able to be surrounded by some incredibly talented people. And so that's how the group was formed. Okay. You yourself only arrived, what, you said two years ago? Yeah, two, uh, two, two years and maybe five months. Okay. Yeah. And the, the Korea Legacy Committee then is younger uh, even than that. Yeah, year and, a, year and a half. We're about to celebrate our second year anniversary this August, or I guess October. What, where's the genesis? What's the very first Korea Legacy Committee thing you did? So, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, I had started a group called the Glide Legacy Committee back in San Francisco, actually. And that was the support uh, a very well-known nonprofit at that time, called the, or at, still, called the Glide Foundation, which supports homelessness in San Francisco. Mm. And so, very much in the same way, I said, hey, let's get a group of uh, eight young Koreans, and let's start a group, and let's start kind of a philanthropic party. And the idea, though, was just to invite people to a bar, have them pay maybe a cover charge, and give that donation to the Seoul Noyen Bokchin Center, which is the Seoul Senior Welfare Center. Little did I know, um, just that concept of a philanthropic charity party is still very foreign here. Yeah, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and so that's when it really hit me, oh, we got to start from the ground up. We've got to teach people what it is to have a charity party. And so it's, it's been a great learning movement. It's been a great learning experience for me. But um, the very first party we did was we rented out a small little bar in Itaewon, asked our friends to come, maybe had about 40, 50 people come. And they each paid, manon just 10 bucks. And um, it was really interesting to kind of read people realize like, so I'm just going to pay. I'm not going to get any free drinks for mm, it, mm. but it's going to go to something else. And I'm going to hang out like I usually do. I'm just going to hang out as I usually do. I'm going to get personally no benefit, which I think you still do. Mm. Um, but it's been a growing experience. And so it's been awesome to see, and as I call it, this movement grow, a philanthropic movement grow in this country. And, you know, to be honest with you, I initially had the opinion that maybe there's just no philanthropic culture here. I was wrong. Mm. There actually is a deep, deep reservoir of philanthropic values here. I just think that this generation wasn't raised where they had the opportunity, you know, when they're in high school to do like a charity car wash or to give back in Christmas and to do a soup kitchen. Mm. I think this wasn't as prevalent as maybe I had growing up, but 
there is a deep desire of this generation to give back. And so once we tap that, boy, our events are now hitting 100, 200 folks. And uh, it's, it's really inspiring to see. So it's latent philanthropic culture that needs to be mobilized. And you picture yourself and your committee setting yourself up as the mobilizers of it. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's, there's a desire to give back. When we, when we say uh, every month we do a volunteer event and we ask people to come and serve meals, Signups go incredibly fast. Uh, so that means there's a desire. I think people were just waiting for someone to organize the event or an organize a fundraiser. But if you give them the opportunity, they jump at it. Let's just quickly go down the bullet points of what you guys do. Uh, you didn't start that Soul Welfare Center, but you no. work in partnership with it. The- Absolutely, yeah. So we uh, chose the Seoul Senior Welfare Center because it's the largest welfare center in Seoul, but I believe also in Korea. Every day they feed close to 2,000 people. If you go out there, it's right by Angukyuk, by Insadong. It's a shocking thing. People start to line up at around 10 in the morning, and it wraps around the building. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it really puts into perspective how vital this organization is, uh, not just to Seoul, but for Korea. And uh, so we've been in partnership with them, and every single dollar we make goes to them. You know what is also untapped out there? There's a ton of uh, volunteers, expats included. I know more about them. Um, that are dying to do some kind of soup kitchen work like this. Uh, there's some of the other charities, they literally fill up and there's waiting lists to go volunteer. I think there's a lot of people that want to put their time towards a charitable goal. So uh, towards the end, we'll let people know exactly how they can connect with you guys. So you feed elderly people. And yeah, there's a ton of them out there that are hungry. Yeah, we feed them. But you know, most of the, one of the biggest reasons or one of the, the main causes that we try to help is just loneliness, actually. A lot of people go to the senior center because they're alone. Mm. And so every month we host a volunteer event and sometimes it's serving meals, but sometimes it's just a matter of working with them on an art project, talking to them, helping clean their eyeglasses, um, helping them with their, uh, uh, you know, uh, smartphone. And so there are a lot of things that we try to do with them that just helps them cure them of loneliness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the this, this sense of not being relevant anymore is yeah. an incredibly oppressive thing, I think, for the elderly, right? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of them are living on the outskirts of the big city. Uh, they come into the center, they come in and just they just want someone to talk to. Mm. And uh, it's amazing when you first talk to someone who's been lonely and hasn't talked to someone for a week, it takes them maybe an hour. But once they start to warm up, they, they'll tell you their life story, which is incredible. Um, this is the generation that built this country. The reason why I'm enjoying living here and why I want to stay here, it's entirely because of that generation. And so when you start to listen to these stories, uh, it, it, I can't even describe how incredibly powerful that is. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if documenting some of the stories of these people might eventually play a, a part in, in what you're doing. The Korea Legacy Committee, just in that name, kind of baked in, is this concept of a debt or a carry forward uh, from what the previous generations have done. Yeah, Enormous sacrifices that I think occasionally get a little glossed over or forgotten nowadays. Yeah, I mean... Um the the term legacy was incredibly intentional and people it's it's hard to translate it actually into korean exactly but for me the reason why we chose legacy was this organization will be and it should be way bigger than the nine of us right now i hope that we are building a legacy for years and decades to come where young people in this country take the reins and give back to the communities that they are living in and so i hope years from now way past when i'm dead 
that this KLC group is continuously giving back to the community and supporting elders. And so that is the legacy we want to live, leave behind um, because we owe so much to this generation. And um, like you said, sometimes we forget about that, but um, it's important to get back to the roots. I suppose in a perfect world, you'd put yourself right out of business because you'd transfer to the, the broader society itself the values of, or you, you'd reignite in the broader youth society itself. Yeah, gosh, I hope. I hope, uh, I hope you know, we live in a community where the KLC isn't needed. Yeah. Um, but boy, when you look at the statistics, it's pretty, it's pretty scary. They said that by 2060, well, currently, I think the, the Korean population, 13% are elderly, which is quite high. Uh, but in 2060, 40% of this population will be elderly. And we also have a, a, a declining birth rate. So this is, I think, uh, the largest economic and social issue of our time. And it will be with Korea for the next century. And if we don't continue to figure out ways to support our aging population, even though I work in tech, you can have 10 more IPOs. That's not going to support the longevity of this country. IPOs are not – the more tech startups we have and have them IPO is not going to support us for the long haul. We have to figure out how to think of solutions, real solutions. How do we house? How do we feed the people of our country? It's so good that you bring that up. I mean, one of the questions you tech people are always asking yourself is, does it scale, mm-hmm. right? You guys are feeding some, some older people. You're having some charity events. Does that scale to the, the, the scope of the problem, the systemic scope? Yeah, you know, uh, that's, the term scale is actually what's something I've been talking about our group uh, for all, all, all year. And our goal is to really scale this year and to go to different, con- different cities, Tegu, Tejan, Pusan. And, you know, when it comes down to it, there's no one solution to supporting poverty in uh, Korea. But we figured if we could be part of one solution, which is making sure that every single senior gets one hot meal a day, if yeah. we can do that, then we can build on that. And then whatever health issues they need to be taken care of, whatever employment jobs we can support, then it adds on. But we want to start that base and make sure that no matter what, uh, if you're living in this country as an elderly person, you get a hot meal a day. Mm. When you're among sort of younger tech types like yourself, uh, you're always kind of brainstorming how to disintermediate and disrupt, right? Those are some of the catchphrases. Mm-hmm. And so companies like yours, you're you're talking, you know, in Elon Musk and all these guys, there's this kind of thought wave afoot of uh, completely redesigning the way wealth is distributed and generated and so forth. The old way that grandpa and grandma did and mom and dad, you know, working hard for 40 years for a chebel and retiring and all of that is breaking down. This is part of the youth frustration, isn't mm-hmm. it? So do you guys talk about systemic ways that, you know, how do we fix this problem when so many elderly are simply leaving the productive model completely. Yeah, you know, I think there's a uh, there was an article recently about a tech company that solely only hired actually yeah. uh, elderly people, which I thought was phenomenal. And um, so we're thinking about social solutions and how we can incorporate because just because someone is elderly no longer does not mean that they are no longer useful to society. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, in, a, in fact, I think they're probably the most useful. Think about the wealth of knowledge they have to be able to teach the next generation sure. how to do things. And so, not tapping that is actually an economic loss for the country. And so, as you had mentioned, I think there's a trend or hopefully there will be a trend where people tap into this knowledge base and continue to utilize the elderly base to build this country again. You know what I saw? It's either a company or an NGO do with elderly people, which I thought was so cool, is um, they would interface elderly people with Korean language learners 
around the world, you know, via uh, telecommunication, video conferencing services. Yeah. The elderly people just want to talk and talk and talk. The young yeah, people absolutely. want to learn and learn. It's a great company. We work with them. Oh, and you know them then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're, they're fantastic. And uh, we try to partner with them. I think it's awesome. And solutions like that that are incredibly creative. And not only is it a, a, a startup for young people, but it utilizes a, a natural, uh, the natural um, incentive of making sure that we support the people in our community. And so it's a perfect synergy of the two. We've got just a few minutes left. I want to ask you, you know, the, the startup culture. You know, uh, let's just take a, a case sample out of San Francisco and a case sample out of Korea. Sure. How do they differ? Um, they, you know, how are the Korean startups still very Korean? You know, I think a lot of the companies that are startups that we see here are built for Korea, mm. um, for this local market. Um, and so I think in terms of, I think, there, uh, my personal opinion is there are three things that make uh, an ecosystem successful, which is the talent. The Bay Area or America's got talent, and so does Korea. We've got incredible talent here. So that's that's the two same. Number two, we have infrastructure. In fact, I actually personally think Korea has better infrastructure. You know, you go to the top of a mountain here, you're watching YouTube streaming and it doesn't glitch here. Right. I mean, you have the fast internet in the world. We're highly connected. Even my grandma has a blog. And so in that terms, we've got infrastructure. But lastly, I think the one thing is we just don't have the level of experience. You know, we have first-time entrepreneurs here who have just started a company who are just coming out of college and they don't have that big company experience or they don't have the startup experience. Whereas in the Valley, people have been in startups for maybe uh, 30, 40 years. And so there's a lot of that kind of experience that is motivating and mentoring the next generation. We haven't had that. We've had, we're kind of in that first wave. Um, and I think in about a decade from now, the people who are building companies now, you know, some will succeed, some will fail. But when the ones that succeed come back, uh, then, we, then we, you're going to start to see a really, really mature ecosystem. It's like an individual and a collective thing. I mean, in the U.S., in a place like Silicon Valley, you have countless individuals who are totally willing to disrupt their lives mm -hmm. and turn their lives upside down to start something up. Here in Korea, you have a collective that once something reaches critical mass or momentum, yeah. they'll change on a dime. Absolutely. Koreans will adapt. Absolutely. And I think the, the most critical component that's different is culturally. You know, you see a 16-year-old in Palo Alto and he says, I'm going to start a company. The parents are like, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> let's go raise some money. Just like that here in yeah. Korea, In it? Korea, a 16-year-old says, I'm going to start a company. It's going to be an app. The mom's thinking, oh my God, Mom has a heart attack. what did I do? What did I do wrong? And, and I think, but what I love so much is that when I did come here a few years ago, the bravery and courage that this generation has to be able to say, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I know how difficult it is, but I'm going to go pursue the thing I want, even though I know culturally I should be working at this company, even though culturally I, know I should be doing this. It is incredibly awesome to see that. Well, there's this whole machinery in place here in Korea that is designed to foster success according to the traditional model. Study your brains out until mm -hmm. you pass out mm -hmm. and then go for traditional uh, employment in one of these big things. And I dare say that um, there's almost a bit of tension, uh, perhaps more than a little bit of resentment among Korean youth against this machine. Yeah, and uh, you know what? To be honest with you, I don't know what the future looks like, but I can tell you right now, like you had said, when things change here, they change fast. And you could see the seams of this cultural bind, whereas the traditional way of living here, what success looks like, is shattering. And it's nice to be able to see this generation take hold and say, you know what? I don't need to follow this traditional path anymore. I'm going to build the company. I'm going to live the life I want. And as soon as that ball of momentum grows a little bit larger, I mean, you can't stop this. And that's why I call it the Tiger Chebel. I think this generation is the largest Chebel in this country. And as soon as that ball gets rolling down the hill, 
the rest of the world should watch out because this generation is incredibly talented. Have you trademarked Tiger Chebel? I, I should. Yeah. Can we do that on the show today? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else say Tiger Chebel. It belongs to Mike Kim. That's right. It's, um, you know, it's a cultural shift. You know, so uh, what's the, the bottom line thing? Actually, you know what? Bef- I, I, I want to make sure that people have a clue how to connect with you oh, yeah. and how to volunteer their time. What's the, um, what, what's the fastest way? Yeah, the way? best way to do that is just to like our Facebook page, the Korea Legacy Committee. We post all our volunteer events, all our fundraising events through that. And then once you come to one of our volunteer events, you'll sign up and then you'll be in our database. So then you'll get our newsletter. And so every month, um, every probably the third weekend, third Saturday, we do a volunteer event at the Soil Noyan Boxing Center. So you can either serve a meal, talk to an elderly person, uh, help them with their smartphone. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. Um, and then every two to three months, we throw a fundraising event. And we have a big one coming up Friday, October 13th. We're throwing our That's second- my birthday. Oh, hey, no way. Hey, All right. Birthday. So hopefully okay. we'll see you at the Four Seasons. We're throwing our second anniversary gala. And uh, we're really looking forward to making sure that uh, we get everyone joined in on this movement. All right. Mike Kim, the director of the Korea Legacy Committee. Get involved and uh, help Korea's elderly make some ends meet. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. I really appreciate it.